0: Good morning will you join me in the prayer for illumination as printed in your bulletin or on the wall eternal God at times we let presumptuous block us from seeing your gifts in other people change us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word renew our hearts open our spiritual eyes to see your greater purpose and potential in all persons. Walk Walk beside us as we obey your call to encourage one another. Create space and help each other use our God-given gifts for your work in the world. Amen. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter nine, verses one through 22, the conversion of Saul. Meanwhile, Saul stood breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged in the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He asked, who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus. Whom are you persecuting? But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing, so they led him by the hand. And brought him into Damascus for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias the Lord said to him in a vision Ananias he answered here I am Lord the Lord said to him get up and go to the street called straight and at the house of Judas look for a man of Taurus named Saul at this moment he is praying has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul preaches in Damascus. For several days, he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem among those who invoked this name? And has he not come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? Saul became increasingly more powerful and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people For us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Poor Diana. Every time she is signed up to be acolyte or to be liturgist, she has the longest scriptures to read. I promise that's not intentional. I don't think she believes me at this point, though. Cancel culture. Have you heard of it? You know, there are times in life when you are hurt by another's actions. There are times in life that you are gravely hurt and you need to hold good boundaries in order to protect yourself. There are times that it is appropriate to withhold contact or limit friendship. There are also times, times when the offense is less serious. There are also times when someone makes a mistake, an error in judgment. Perhaps they overreact or say something that they shouldn't. Life is full of sticky situations. Life is full of mistakes and missteps. Each one of us in this room have made mistakes. At one time or another, each one of us has said something or done something that has hurt someone else. Maybe it was out of ignorance. Maybe it was just taken in the wrong way. Maybe it was intentional, but maybe it was a true and honest mistake. If I look back over the course of my life, I have made many, many mistakes. Some of them have been big mistakes, ones that I can remember vividly. Others have slipped away from my memory I am grateful for a few things in life. I am grateful for grace. I am grateful for second chances. I am also grateful that cancel culture was not a thing when I was growing up. Cancel culture began as a trend to punish or to express disapproval of someone's actions. It began as a tactic used primarily toward celebrities, politicians, people of notable character or status, even as simple as social media content creators. By definition, cancel culture is the mass withdrawal of support from public figures or celebrities who have done things that are not socially acceptable today. The practice of canceling or mass shaming or withdrawal of support often occurs on social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all of the things that we have. In other words, someone does or says something that is considered not appropriate, and the word travels, and the story grows bigger and bigger, and it is deemed by someone, I'm not sure who the judge is, that punishment is due, and the person is canceled. No more work, no more social media accounts, no more followers, no more job, no more contact. And you may think, well, that's the chance that you take if you lead a public life. Everything is scrutinized. You take the risk of being canceled. But this cancel culture mentality has taken over our private lives as well. And sadly, what I'm most worried about is cancel culture among our young people. I read a story in the New York Times it included the story of a young man who was canceled following a bad breakup with his girlfriend. Before he knew it, a typical teenage romance, somewhere we've all been, a typical teenage romance gone bad turned him into being labeled as the wrongdoer in his school. The story continued to grow in intensity like a school-wide game of telephone And it made the boy sound worse and worse. And what started out as just a typical breakup between two teenagers soon grew into a much bigger but false story. So his classmates became judge, jury, and social executioner, and they decided to cancel him. From that moment on, he was an outcast in the school. No friends at school, no friends outside school. No one to talk to, blocked on all forms of social media. People barely made eye contact with him. It was like he was invisible, even in his presence, like he didn't exist at all. Within days, his life looked nothing like what it had. No one would sit with him at lunch in the library. No one wanted to sit near him in class, and if they were made to sit near him, they just acted as if he didn't exist. This went on for months and months, even while parents got involved, even while school administration got involved. He thought, well, Christmas break is coming. Surely people will forget. It was like this young man had been cut from the fabric of the community. And even though he was still there physically, he was unseen. And then spring break came, and he thought, surely by now none of the other students were willing to risk even being seen talking to him for fear of being canceled themselves he just weren't was not worth the risk the school didn't seem to have any tools to deal with this cancel culture that had run rampant after all he wasn't being bullied in the traditional sense that we understand Bullying to look like, how do you discipline students for just ignoring someone? But damage was being done to this young man, maybe irreparable damage. He felt completely worthless, not worth a word. When questioned, the students who canceled the young man claimed that they had good intentions. They said, look, he hurt our friend. We're just standing up for our friend. We won't tolerate that kind of behavior, but the behavior that they believe led to the cancellation had never happened. They did admit that the story grew worse over time, and he went from being a kid who broke up with a girl to being labeled an abuser, a label that the girlfriend freely said was not correct. He had never abused her. They had just broken up, but it had gotten too big. You know, stories grow over time, and soon you can't unring a bell that has been rung. Even if their intentions were good, by canceling the young man, no one ever heard his side of the story. No one ever heard what he had to say. It wasn't even deemed worthy of hearing. No one ever heard him, and they set this ball rolling for years of mental strife Maybe even permanent damage to his psyche or worse. It's a tough world out there right now, especially for our kids. Kids do thoughtless things, kids say the wrong thing, even if they have good intention. And one mistake can lead to dramatic consequences. And sadly, the adults in their lives, we are not equipped to help them. This young man didn't do anything horribly wrong. And the young girl's friends thought they were protecting her, or at least standing up for her by canceling him. After all, they watch us do it all the time, right? They're just emulating what they see. Even the right intentions can land us at the wrong destination. Even when we're acting in ways that we believe are right and just, we can do more damage than we can ever imagine. It's a tough world. But this isn't a new problem for humanity. In our scripture reading today, we read of the conversion of Saul. Saul is an enemy of the Jewish people, He's an enemy of the new movement, which would come to be known as Christianity. He's an enemy of Jesus and his followers. Why? Because they didn't believe like him. They didn't follow the same faith practices that he followed. And just as sometimes happened, Saul allowed his beliefs to go to the extremes. He had the followers of Christ arrested, men and women. He persecuted believers. He even ordered some put to death, all in the name of his faith. If you are not on my side, you are my enemy. If you didn't think like him, if you didn't believe like him, not only were you different, as the kids said, they're different than us, but we should still love them. No, if you're different than I, then you should be punished. And Saul had the authority and gained greater authority To have them punished. There is no room for your side of the story. There was only justice handed out at the order of Saul, and he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was defending his faith by arresting these people of God. This is cancel culture in its most extreme form. Saul is trying to cancel the entire movement of the new church, he's trying to stop it in its tracks. And then Saul meets Jesus. And in an encounter like no other, Saul is convinced, convicted, and converted. He is struck blind on the side of the road. This powerful man who had so much power had to be led into the city by the hand because he was blind. This man who had ordered the arrest and execution of Jesus' followers was all of a sudden struck by the real-life presence of Christ. And struck down, he certainly was, physically, but also humbled. And I wonder, as he sat in the darkness those three days, ironic, isn't it? God can do a lot of work in three days. Did he tremble at what he had done in the name of God? Did he weep at the hurt that he had caused with his righteous anger? Did he wonder where it had all gone wrong? He had good intentions, but what had happened? Did he wish he could go back in time and undo the things he had done? Did he wonder if he was even redeemable, worthy of a roadside visit from Jesus? It's amazing how our encounters with Christ can change us. In Saul's case, the conversion was immediate and dramatic. He found himself face down in the dirt, blinded by the light of Christ, hearing the voice of Christ say, it is me you are persecuting. At the moment that he lost his ability to see, was he really drawn into seeing so much more? And in the meantime, God is speaking to Ananias. God says, I want you to go and pray over Saul. He's had a vision. He knows you're coming. And Ananias says, excuse me, what? You want me to do what with, do you know who that is over there? Ananias knows exactly who Saul is, and he doesn't want any part of this plan. It'd be like sending a Browns player to Steelers camp. He cries, Lord, you know what he has done. I don't want to go over there. I don't want to have anything to do with him. In fact, people usually don't come back from visiting with with Saul. I'd like to come back. It's funny how both Saul and Ananias are men of great faith. They see themselves as two sides of the faith coin. They both believe they're living out great faith by judging the other. Saul says Christians are wrong, they deserve to be punished. Ananias says Saul is deplorable and doesn't deserve God's mercy. Who's right? Who's wrong? That is for God to judge. And God does say to Ananias, I have chosen Saul to be an instrument for me, and I will show him what that sacrifice will mean. Once again, God asks his people to allow him to, to work within the lives of his people. Once again, he reminds us what's above our pay grade and how often we need to be reminded. I want us to note here that God meets both Saul and Ananias where they are in terms of their understanding. For Saul, God meets him in the midst of his days of persecuting Christians. And in a dramatic conversion moment, the light of God blinds Saul and the voice of God speaks into the pain that Saul is offering up to others and says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus reminds Saul that when you harm the people of God, you harm God himself. Jesus convicts Saul with his words. Why are you hurting my people? Why are you hurting me? And then God appears to Ananias in a vision, asking him to go and to pray with the now humbled Saul. He meets Ananias in the midst of his righteous indignation and judgment of the evil one, Saul of Tarsus. And we might find ourselves agreeing with Ananias. He he was a bad guy. It's obvious that Saul is the bad guy in this story. After all, he's having men and women alike jailed for believing in Jesus. But remember, we are not equipped to act as the final judge, jury, and executioner. Just like the young people who canceled the boy in our story, they were acting above their station, higher than their pay grade. They didn't know the whole story. They didn't know the true story. They didn't understand the full scope of what they were doing and the consequences that came with it. We need to prayerfully consider our own actions and the times that we have decided we know best and we are equipped to judge another. It's not for us. Freedom doesn't give us the opportunity to limit other people's choices. Freedom gives us freedom to live into our own choices, not to dictate others. Ananias may not have been openly persecuting people like Saul was, but he was clearly sitting in judgment, even questioning God's redemptive plan for Saul. Ananias could never envision that Saul, who would be known as Paul, otherwise known as Paul, would become so important in the early church and beyond. Ananias could not understand that Saul would go on to teach and to preach, that God would move Saul from persecutor to promoter of the faith. And I'm sure that Saul could not envision what God would do with his changed life. But I'm grateful that he didn't sit in his mistakes. That he said, I can be redeemed. I'm sure that as Saul looks back over his life, he wonders how God could redeem his story. How could God ever forgive him and use him after all he had done? But look at all the good that would not have been done He didn't believe in the redemptive work of Jesus. It amazes me how God is interacting with God's people in these words, in this story, both Saul and Ananias. They are so different, but they are so similar. They're both acting on their judgment of what they believe to be right, and God is moving them individually, carefully, toward a more just life through God's call. For Saul, there is much redeeming work to do and God shows up in a big way, a blinding vision, days of darkness that would precede his conversion. For Ananias, it's more subtle pushing toward justice, forgiveness, and true understanding. Both men are being taught by God. Both men are strong in the faith and obedient to God's movements in our lives. They overcome their past mistakes and their understanding to a more better, fuller, truthful understanding for themselves and others. It's so easy for us to allow our own understandings to cloud our judgment. We are ever learning. This story encourages us to depend on our faith in God and to depend on God to help us learn and to grow, and God will respond to our need in the perfect way for us. Friends, how can we approach life with an open dialogue with God about how we can best be used? How can we ask God to show us the other side of the story when we're tempted to cancel someone? God will not steer us wrong. If we faithfully pray and listen for his guidance, we will know... When it is appropriate to build and hold protective boundaries, because it is at times appropriate to limit conversation in certain circumstances. And there are times that it is appropriate to allow changes in our own attitudes. We just need to be open to the idea. When do we need to be reminded that we, even with the best of intentions, don't always have the best practices to move toward true justice. How can we be the instruments that God is calling us to be? The call of the church is to be what God calls us to be as individuals and as a collective. The call of the church is to use our gifts for the work of God in the world. And all God's people said, Amen.